Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's show. I'm your host, Zach Drew. And I'm Andrew Bellers. We're going to get to the this in the program in just a few minutes, but we've got to set the table for a little bit. I truly believe that in my lifetime that the church is going to uh, go through a true reformation process. Uh, some people might want call it a great awakening or revival. I think the best word is going to be a reformation. Um, just historically speaking, it seems that every 500 years in church history, there has been a reformation. And the reformations take place at a time whenever the church and the world are mixing together like they haven't in several hundred years. And I believe that right now in American history, um, the church is mixing with the world like it hasn't in hundreds of years. I was even talking to a pastor friend of mine who was meeting with many other pastors in a large room in the in this area. And it was after Roe v. Wade was overturned and it was, it, no one had brought it up. So he brought up, hey, let's uh, talk about this real quick. Let's, it's just a point of celebration. The majority of the pastors were angry. Wow. The majority said, this isn't something we should be celebrating. Wow. Unbelievable. And then that's just one issue. Then, then half of the church is literally, they, they don't read their word and therefore uh, the this the seed of truth that has been planted in their heart is being ripped away and they are they're serving two masters they're serving god and they're serving the religion of wokeism and we know the word of god says we cannot have two masters it is a time of mixing and guess what there was a church in revelation that was known for mixing with the world and it was the church of Pergamos, or maybe your translation might say Pergamum. Well, we're going to read about that on the last half of today's show. But I want to tell you this. It is not going to be easy to be a Christian very soon in America. You say, well, it's kind of hard now. It's like, no, it's not. Not compared to, not compared to church history. No, it's not. White... Christian nationalists, so people that are Christian, people that are white, and people that love America, that grouping of people, I believe, is going to be next on the chopping block. Mm -hmm. They're the next one in line. And sooner or later, it's not going to matter if you love America or you're white or this and that. The very that They're going to sift it all the way down to, it just matters if you're a Christian. That's it. That, that's where they're going. And it's all part of cultural Marxism, which is a philosophy of Satan himself. Listen, I actually have an article here. Uh, where is it? It's uh, called How Catholics Weaponized uh, the Rosary. And it was from the Atlantic, and, and actually the Atlantic, that was the original headline. But then they changed the headline mm -hmm. to make it a little different. So just look at this. Look at the, just the starting line. AR-15s have become a sacred object for Christian nationalists. They're trying to paint Christians as the extremists. And you're going to see that more and more and more often. And now the rosary, the rosary has acquired a militaristic meaning for radical traditional Catholics. On this extre extremist fringe, rosary beads have been woven into a conspiratorial politics and absolutist gun culture. These armed radical traditionalists have taken up a spiritual notion 
listen to this, have taken up a spiritual notion that the rosary can be a weapon in the fight against evil and turned in it into something dangerously literal. So the, the, I'm not Catholic. I, I have lots of Catholic friends. I have, lo I have lots of Catholic friends because I think that half my audience, you know, well, I'm not going to say that. I'll say this. I have Catholic friends too, in which I'm thinking of right now, that are born again believers. Yeah. They love Jesus. They believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. They have a personal relationship with Jesus. They have repented of their sins. And I, they're, they're saved. And so I grew up, as many of us did, for the, you know, my first several years, you know, it was like, if you weren't a part of this denomination and you were Baptist, you were off. If you were Presbyterian, you were off. If you were Lutheran, my gosh, you were just so off. And, they, and then, we had, then we had Catholics even further removed where, you know, it was just like, no, they're just so far off there. You know, the thing is this. There is a lot of secondary and tertiary issues that literally are, have nothing to do with salvation. Yeah, though we might disagree on several um, secondary issues, the fact is this. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Do you believe that He died and on the third day was resurrected from life? Do you believe that that is the one and singular source of, our, of the atoning sacrament of our sins? Is He the only way to heaven? Listen, yes. Have, do you believe that that's the only place that you can repeat, repent and find salvation? Yes. Those are the only things that truly, truly matter. Understand that. But so, well, all that to say is I'm not Catholic, but it's been known for hundreds of years that when they, you know, wear their rosaries that they believe that they're, you know, fighting against the, the, the things unseen. Right. This is not a, this is not anything new. Right. These are not militants. These are not crazy people. These are people that believe in the in the spiritual realms and that there are real spiritual battles taking place around us. And I believe that. I don't I don't believe I have to wear a rosary for that, but or a reminder to pray to the saints. But like I I believe that we are on the same page and they're not militaristic, crazy people that are gonna explode buildings or fly planes into you know the World Trade Centers. That's right. But they're trying to make us extremists polarize us to the cultural Marxist white people, nationalists, Christians. Those are, you know, those are one of the seven things, of course, that are a part of the cultural hegemony. Remember the cultural hegemony, the, you know, which is the perceived ruling class that has indoctrinated and impressed everyone else. That's the, that's the narrative. You see, because here's the thing, and we learned this from Karl Marx with original Marxism, and then, you know, Antonio Gramsci, you know, kind of redid it in cultural Marxism. But here's the thing, cultural Marxism, Marxism, at the root, they, and this is a known fact, look at Karl Marx's life. Why did he create this philosophy? It stemmed from a hatred of God. Cultural Marxism hates God. Cultural Marxists hate God. And they hate his word. They hate the principles and the worldview that it instills into people. Christianity is a religion, but so is cultural Marxism, and it is a denomination of Satan. Cultural Marxism is a religion, and sort of liberalism and leftism in, in general is a type of religion, 
in order to have a religion, you have to have certain <coughs> foundational truths, fundamental truths. There are truths that we as Christians are, I'm going to use a word here, we are dogmatic about. That word dogma, this is the definition of the word dogma. It is a principle or set of principles laid down by an authority. In our case, the authority is, is God himself, the word of God laid down by an authority as incontrovertibly true. That means no matter what anyone says, Amen. they are true. And we have those truths. You, if you are a Christian, you believe in, you believe uh, that, that Christ came to earth, you believe in the incarnation, you believe in the virgin birth, you believe in, in the, the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you believe in salvation, through grace, by faith alone. These are things that, that, that are necessary and are necessarily true if you're a Christian. And in the same way, the left is dogmatic about a set of, of truths. To them, these are absolutely incontrovertibly true. Climate change, that we are in a climate crisis that is destroying our planet. Abortion, and not just abortion, abortion on demand for any reason at all. Uh, LGBT, and that last one, T, has really taken off, that transgenderism. Um, socialism, and like you said, cultural Marxism. And all of these are justified by a larger ideology of postmodernism, and they're being established by postmodernism. This is basically what they're doing. Postmodernism says, what is truth? We can't really know what truth is. So, they use that idea of what is truth to dismantle every single truth that we hold dear That's right. in this culture. Good. And the reason that they're doing that, they have to dismantle and, and do away with the predominant culture today, what they call the cultural hegemony. They have to do away with it so that they can establish their own religion, this religion of leftism. Mm -hmm. So going back to that, definition of dogma principles or set of principles laid down by an authority who is the authority in the left the authority whether seen or unseen is this globalist elite and the purpose of their religion is really to conquer the earth and we know as christians it's to conquer the earth for the sake of the antichrist for the sake of the enemy yes that's right and here's the thing is that you know here's one woke Here's, you know, just for a little extra today, here's one woke article. Minneapolis public schools promise to lay off black teachers before cutting um, the jobs of white people. Wait, no, no, that's not what the article says, because that would be super racist. Yeah, that would be crazy. That would be super racist, because oh, I guess that's not what the article says. Now let's go ahead and put up the real article on the screen. Minneapolis public schools promise to lay off white teachers before cutting, quote, educators of color. And you were talking to me before the show, you said, okay, well, Zach, you know, it looks like uh, they're gonna go ahead and fight systemic racism with systemic racism. And the crazy thing, we were just having this conversation just a little bit ago. The crazy thing is that I don't believe there was systemic racism in the schools at all. So, Really, they have established systemic racism. And thank you, and they wouldn't be able to do that without postmodernism. And postmodernism allows us to um, 
allows us to question what is truth, what is fact. Well, therefore, once that's established, then the, rev- the, the deconstructionists can come in and wipe out everything that we've known is true. And once the deconstructionists have, have, have taken all the buildings of, of our history, you know, metaphorically speaking, and just turned them down to r- rubble, then the revisionists come in. So postmodernism lays, you know, and then the, the, the deconstructionists tear it down, and then the revisionists come and they rebuild it. And now, yeah, the school system is, a, is part of the patriarchy, you know, and, and this and that. Listen, and it's perversion everywhere. The wild celebration of transgenderism is being praised, promoted, and funded by the ruling class at the highest levels from the White House on down, while all who sound the alarm are demonized and canceled. Uh, There was one article here, uh, it talks about how Boston Children's Hospital is now offering gender-affirming hysterectomy for young girls. Uh, Here's another one. In Spain, 16-year-olds will soon be able to change their gender without their parents' consent. Here's a quote from Liberty Loft. Go ahead and put this quote on the screen. Almost all of America's big institutions, big media, big tech, big government, big education, big business, big sports, gush uncontrollably over Pride Month, glorifying everything homosexual, transgender, and non-binary. The push to groom America's children into the LGBT lifestyle has gone into overdrive. Disney staffers explicitly brag on camera about inserting as much, quote, their word, queerness, as possible into their entertainment products. After school, quote, Gay Straight Alliance, which are called GSA clubs, which purport to be support groups, but in reality are all about recruitment are rapidly proliferating throughout America's public schools. Teachers with bizarre hairdos and multiple facial piercings openly proselytize America's children, and some evangelizing the new transgender salvation aggressively on social media platforms like TikTok. Wow, unbelievable. This is the state of our world. But now let's go back to who the enemy is. The enemy is Bible-believing Judeo-Christian morals affirming, Ten Commandments and Sermon on the Mount loving, Christian believers who happen to also love America. They're the enemy right now, the real enemy. And you know, that's one of the reasons I'm so disturbed by the uh, IRS's job posting this week. Um, You know, they said that uh, you must be willing to use deadly force it says, IRS sparks uproar over job posting. Uh, they went ahead and removed that. Now, I understand that, you know, it is um, recruiting for the White House to attack. You know, they think about, they think about um, you know, Trump and everything that was taking place at Mar-a-Lago. But the fact is, is that churches, is one of their biggest enemies is the IRS. And uh, so, yeah, it just does, I, I, just, I, don't, I don't feel all warm and fuzzy when I read articles like that. And here's the thing. There, it is a small group of people in America that actually are Christian fundamentalists. The vast majority of Christians are not in America. They, they uh, have the, their ideologies, they, they mix them with the world and the Bible. And, <clears throat> and it, is, it, is, it is a perversion of the truth. Uh, Christians 
even the ones that, even the Christians that aren't woke, but they go to church. Most Christians in America are starving to death. And this is the next thing I want to talk about. Christians are woefully unprepared for what is coming. They're not prepared physically, getting the goods and everything to, to go through, you know, having a little bit of, you know, some silver dimes on the side, at least a month or two of rent or mortgage payment in there, you know, some survival food in the basement, the things that they need to have, they're not prepared. But way more importantly, they're not prepared spiritually. They are spiritually malnourished. They are, actually, let me just read this article for, actually, I'm not going to, yeah, I'm going to go into it just a bit. Frequency of reading the Bible among adults in the United States from 2018 to 2021. If you add up those that read their Bible once or never or once a year, and then the third three there, I'll add them up for you. What that's saying, if you add up those statistics, is 50% of the body of Christ on average reads their Bible once a year. Once a year. We are spiritually malnourished. Literally, like, you know, we would think about, like, I, whenever I was reading this, I thought about how, you know, they they show us pictures of, of starving children in, in Africa, and it's so, it, it moves our hearts. It moves our hearts, which then moves our wallets, right? So then we give. That is what the majority of Christians in America look like spiritually. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. We are, there is a physical us and there is a spiritual us. And the physical us eats things in the physical and the spiritual us eats things in the spiritual. And if, and that is such a terrifying thought that 50% of the body of Christ read at one time or two a year. And you, do you know what that, you know what that means, right? That means they're reading it on Christmas. They're, they go to Christmas and Easter services and they read it right there. They, they, so they don't read their Bible at all and they're yeah. unprepared. Something that I thought that was crazy about this article at the, at the end of this article, it says, however, Despite these challenges in reading the text, a significant portion of the U.S. population consider their belief in God to be compatible with the representation in the Bible. So they're saying, yeah, I don't, you know, I'll read, I'll read the Bible once or twice a year, but I still believe that my beliefs represent what the Bible says. How in the world can you say, I believe what the Bible says, when you never open it? That's and right. So Obviously, at some point, there's going to be a rift. What you believe is eventually going to drift away from what the Bible says. That's right. I want to say this quickly, and then we're going to, we're going to go into the main content. We're going to do rapid fire, okay? But I'm just going to say this. You skip breakfast. By the time lunch gets there, you're hungry. If you skip breakfast and lunch, you're going to be, you know, agitated. They call it hangry right? You're going to kind of be almost a little bit angry throughout the day because you're just so hungry. Mm -hmm. If you skip breakfast, lunch, and dinner by the evening, you're going to feel sick. That is our natural bodies. And there's people that, I'm just people, you've got to get in the Word. 
You've got to start feeding yourself. You will not survive what is coming if you have not built your life upon the rock of Jesus Christ. When those storms come crashing in, your house, your spiritual house will fall with a great crash. You've got to get into the Word. Because of the spiritual state of America uh, and the spiritual straight more so of American Christianity and the lack of Christians reading their Bible, many churches have, this is key, mixed. They have mixed their doctrines with the world. The Bible would say they tolerate the doctrines of the Nicolaitans or they accept the doctrines of demons. They have forsaken the gospel of Jesus Christ for the gospel of wokeism and a great mixing of the church and the world has taken place. And here is what you need to know. I believe that we will see a great reformation in the body of Christ in my lifetime. Now, you can call it a revival, you can call it a great awakening, I will call it now a, a great reformation. You see, God seems to work in types. He seems to work in patterns. We can gather that from the Word of God. It's as if He works in cycles. Now, He can break out of that anytime He wants, because we can never really put God in a box. But if we study church history, did you know that the body of Christ has experienced a reformation of sorts once every 500 years? Every 500 years, the Christian church has gone through a revolution where the established order is turned upside down and replaced with something fresh. It's like, well, what do you mean something fresh? What do you, you know, uh, the, the Bible isn't progressive. It's not ever changing. Well, let me explain that to you. For Western Christianity, the Protestant or Great Reformation was about 500 years ago, okay? Uh, when Martin Luther famously, you know, penned his uh, 95 uh, thesis against the Catholic Church, which really just had two central thoughts. I don't know if you're aware of that. Um, basically, it was that the Bible is the central religious authority, amen, and that humans can reach salvation only by their faith uh, and not by their deeds. And 500 years before that, you hit uh, uh, the, uh, what was it called? The Great, my goodness, um, the Great Schism right? Um, when the church divided between East and West. And so 500 years earlier than that, you have Pope Gregory uh, the Great, who helped bring the church out of the Dark Ages. It was around 476 AD and marked the fall of the Western Roman Empire. So what great things happened during these reformations? Well, one, during every Reformation, the dominant form of Christianity is reconstituted into a more pure and less ossified expression of its former self. Um, Christianity spreads like wildfire because of a result of it, and each Reformation has drastically increased the church's depth and reach. It has, every Reformation, it changes it so that the gospel is made more and more simple. Mm -hmm. That Jesus is the only way. I mean, it just, it just everyone is becoming more and more simple. You know, salvation is found in Christ alone. That is one of the, what we're kind of seeing as the Reformations go, it just becomes more Simple, and the gospel is not a complex issue. 
Um, so at the time of great mixing is when reformation comes. So what does that mean? It's coming soon, people. And if God simply stays in that 500, you know, the increments of 500, we're due. We're due. Like I said, at the time of great mixing is when Reformation comes. And the first time this happened was around 400 AD, which led to the first Reformation around 100 years later. And at this time, I want to go into Revelation where um, Jesus writes a letter to the church of Pergamos. So the church of Pergamos, which is a third church listed. You can read about the seven churches in a row in Revelation chapter two and three. Pergamos, or depending on whether you're reading from the New King James, the ESV or whatever, sometimes it's referred to as Pergamum. Um, it was known as the compromising church. That is uh, most of us in America probably fit into the Pergamos church being mixed with the world. Literally, the meaning of Pergamos in the Greek means that. It represents the period of church history when we were married to the world when, when, compromise, in, when compromise entered. So per means mixed or objectionable, and gamos means marriage. So you put that together, literally the name of the church itself means marriage with the world. So Revelation chapter 2 verse 12 says this, And to the church of the angel in Pergamos write, These things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword, I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Now, let me just stop there. Listen, if Satan wanted an area headquarters, Pergamos would have been the place. Uh, the capital city of the province, uh, it was a city dedicated to religion with many temples to honor many different deities, as well as being the many different uh, uh, deities. It was a notorious center of wickedness. Zeus is said to have been born there. Um, and oh, and to celebrate that there is there was a, a a huge altar that stood on a foundation. It was an, it was 125 feet by 115 feet and over 50 feet high, and it was set in a, in a colonnaded uh, enclosure. And I believe that Jesus was referring that to be Satan's throne. He said that is where Satan's throne is, and and also. And we're not going to get into it right now, but it was the same throne that was reconstructed for Hitler and um, for Obama. Um, that's another story for another time. Let's keep going. And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr, was killed among you, where Satan dwells. Satan is real people. But I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel. Think about the articles we read today. To eat sacrifice to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you have those who hold the doctrines of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. You see, the Nicolaitans, they were a sect who taught impure doctrines and followed truly the most uh, impure uh, practices. Let's keep going. Repent, or else I will come to you quickly, and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes. To him who overcomes. 
Listen, body of Christ. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on that stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. And in that time, the white stones was something that the judges would issue and say, you're innocent, you are free. And basically, God is saying, if you overcome, if you cast off the compromises that you have made in your heart, the marriage that you, this, this, this mixed marriage being married to me and married to the world, if you can separate that and just repent of that, I will give you that white stone with a new name. And that's eternal, that's eternal uh, eternity with God. If there's anything in your heart that you need to repent of, repent of it. There is a reformation coming. There is persecution coming. The body of Christ is unprepared because they're not in their word. And remember, the reformations come at a time of great mixing. That's where we are. Get ready. Get prepared. Get into your word. We'll see you next week.